Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 209, Ways Hams Can Help with COVID-19 Research. Recorded live on Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Dr. Scott Wright, K0MD. And also Sam Rose, KC2LRC, and we're going to take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week here on the show, Dr. Jim Mara in 5HZ was here to talk about his trip to the Begali Key Factory over in Italy. If you missed the show, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. Or, of course, you can catch the rebroadcast of the show each week. On WTWW, that's 5085-5085 a.m. Saturday evenings at about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, get your questions ready to go for uh, Scott and for Sam. And if you're listening to us live on Thursday night, you can give us a call after the interview by telephone. Let me give you the number. It's not time to call just yet, but... Uh, let me give you the number so you have it ready and uh, punched into your phone, ready to go here. It's 859-982-7373. Again, that's 859-982-7373. You can also tweet us. It's at HamTalkLive on Twitter. You can do that anytime you like. And we'll get to those um, in the second half of the show as well as the calls. And you can comment if you're on Spreaker listening live. You can comment and uh, we'll check those out uh, during the question and answer time as well. So I'll be back with Scott and Sam right after this word from ICOM America right here on Ham Talk Live. Get out and be active with ICOM's new IC705 and its optional multifunction backpack. The IC705 is your perfect QRP companion as you have base station features and functionality at the tip of your fingers in a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at 1 kilogram or just over 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz and a large 4.3 inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall. It runs 5 watts with a battery, 10 watts with a power supply. It has sideband, CW, AM, FM, and full D-Star functions, a micro USB connector, Bluetooth, wireless LAN, micro SD card slot, integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger, and the speaker mic comes standard and supports QRP operations. The perfect accessory for your IC705 is the optional backpack LC192 with a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or just a day in the park. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. Your host, Neil Rapp, would tell you a chemistry joke, but he probably wouldn't get a reaction. Now, more Ham Talk Live. 
Be sure to check out ICOM at icomamerica.com slash amateur for all kinds of good stuff. They help bring you Ham Talk Live each and every week, Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And tonight we have two guests. It's a, it's a two-for-one special here tonight. Um, Dr. Scott Wright, K0MD, is now in his third year as editor of the National Contest Journal. Uh, he's from Rochester, Minnesota, and he works at the Mayo Clinic teaching cardiology, uh, which often takes him abroad, so ham radio can go along, and uh, he's an excellent contester and been on several de-expeditions. We met when we were kids, uh, actually, at a, at a FCC test session um, in Louisville, Kentucky, and he is a graduate of the University of Kentucky, go Cats, and um, he's working on a new project uh, that we'll be talking about in just a minute. Also with us tonight is Sam Rose, KC2LRC from Syracuse, New York. Sam was first licensed in 2003 at the age of 13 and studied electrical engineering at Clarkson University, uh, where he was president of their radio club, K2CC. And he started a career doing engineering and data performance analysis work on C-speed lightwave radar, a next-generation S-band air traffic surveillance radar, and now he's working on phased array radar systems at Lockheed Martin. So, Scott and Sam, welcome back to both of you. Yeah, it's good to be here tonight. Good evening, Neil. It's always a pleasure to join my favorite talk radio show. Well, th- well wow, thank you. And, and Scott had the honor of being on the very first episode, so there you go. Well, and the show well, Scott survived. Said, Amazing. And, and survived, yes. <laughs> well, the uh, and you survived. Uh, we're going we're gonna to let Scott go first here because he's been working like, uh, I think, 28-hour days or something. Um, so we're going to let him go a little early tonight. So we're going we're gonna to let him go first. And, and uh, if he can hang around for some questions, uh, he will. But... Uh, but um, I'm leaving that entirely uh, in, in his court because uh, he's he's on a tight schedule here. But um, you're working on a um, a really high profile project at uh, Mayo Clinic right now for COVID nineteen research, and so uh, tell us just a little bit about the the research and and what it's trying to do and. Um, then later on, we'll get into how people can help. Neil, thank you for asking. COVID-19 infections are the greatest health crisis in 100 years in this country, in my view. Shockingly, more people died today of COVID than of cancer or heart disease, and that's been true all month. And it's been the most frightening and anxiety-provoking time that I and I think most doctors would say they've ever experienced working because we're fighting a, a disease and an infection and an adversary that's still tough to tame. There are no commercially available treatments for COVID-19 at this time. You can't pull a drug like penicillin off the shelf or uh, give a vaccine to prevent it. So we're struggling with how can we treat it and help people because uh, you only have to look at today's New York Times to see the uh, fact that they're now burying 24 people a day in the pauper's graves in New York, and that used to be 24 a week. Over the last hundred years, we've faced several pandemics. The Spanish flu pandemic is likely comparable in terms of uh, deaths and fright as this one. But there have been others, including some in earlier in this century that people have heard of and forgotten, like MERS and SARS. What's been consistent about all of those has been the fact that physicians, until treatments are really proven and available, have been using a, an old-fashioned treatment of convalescent plasma. What do we mean by that? Well, you can take someone who's recovered from COVID, who's either been sick or in the hospital with it, and they've recovered, and their immune system has created antibodies which inside the body bind and kill the virus and allow the body to overwhelm it and to uh, expel it and to get the disease out. 
But once you've had the infection, typically you have a high level of antibody for several weeks to several months. And so if we can take blood or plasma from people who have had it and recovered, so the virus is now gone but the antibodies stay, and we can give that to a hospitalized patient, many of them are getting better. We've heard uh, anecdotal reports about people who have been on a ventilator for a week and they get a unit of convalescent plasma and they are able to come off the ventilator the next day and go home a few days later. We've also had examples of giving it and people don't get well. They just continue to deteriorate and die. So we don't know if it's working effectively or strongly against COVID-19. But in March, the Food and Drug Administration, on behalf of the U.S. government, asked Mayo Clinic and my friend and colleague, Dr. Michael Joyner, to organize a national treatment study with convalescent plasma. Dr. Joyner asked my assistance and that of several others at Mayo to help him get it going, and we did. And, Neil, I'm glad to say that as of about the 1st of April... Until now, just about three weeks later, we've been able to enroll 1,902, 1,902 hospitals and 3,921 patients in this bioethical medical research study. So far, we've had 1,626 to receive treatment or to be have plasma ordered for them of the 3,921 in hospitals. So that leaves about 2,300 tonight in hospitals across the United States and in our territories who are critically ill with COVID-19. Some are on ventilators. Some can't talk to their loved ones. All of them are tragic stories. And we're still trying to find enough people who have recovered from COVID-19 who will donate plasma so this study can continue and give the Food and Drug Administration the best available data to determine if it's a safe and effective treatment or if it's a harmful treatment or if it's neutral. That's what we're working on. It's been a joy to work on. It's been one of the more important projects I've ever undertaken in my lifetime. It's acute to all of us. We realize that the work we're doing could help people we know, people in other states, of course, even our own families or ourselves, because none of us are immune to COVID-19. It's a terrible disease. I hope all the people listening to your podcast live and on the rebroadcast don't get it, because it's, it's a tough disease. Those in the media and in government who belittle it and say it's not, not anything serious don't understand the consequences. And again, I just want to repeat what I said earlier, Neil. More people die today of COVID-19 than of cancer or heart disease. As you pointed out, I'm a cardiologist and a proud graduate of the University of Kentucky. Like you, I'm a fan of Big Blue Nation. And I've spent my life battling heart disease, working on therapies to prevent it, to treat it, to help people live better and stronger lives. But COVID is an adversary none of us anticipated, and it's one that we're working hard night and day. And it's right, I am working seven days a week, and everyone on this project, and I'm sure most doctors in this country are working seven days a week right now to try to uh, take care of people who are ill and to fight it. But I want to thank you, Neil, for inviting me on to talk about it and to make a plea, if I can, that if you or a loved one or a friend or a family member or an acquaintance are through and well from COVID, You've been diagnosed with it by a test, and you're now fully recovered 21 days out. You can consider donating your blood to help people currently in the hospital. The lives you impact may not be your own families. They might be, but they certainly will be fellow Americans. This is a time as a nation we really have to come together. It's a battle that we win by fighting together. We lose by standing separately, and um, it's, uh, it's a big crisis. We don't expect it to be an easy victory or a quick victory. But the, this country will overcome it, but it's going to take a while. We expect it will be back again in a few months to a year. By that time, we hope to have better treatments, more effective treatments out. But until then, this is likely one of the better treatment options we have. And I just want to reiterate, Neil, that it's a study. The FDA has authorized it as a clinical research study. It's conducted in a bioethical framework, which means that the patients who are in it understand that there may or may not be a benefit, there may or may not be new risks, and they have to sign a consent form which acknowledge they understand that. And if they are not able to sign the form because they're sedated on a ventilator or they're so ill that they can't think and talk, then their family members can do that for them or their treating doctors can enroll them in a safety, using a safety mechanism that the FDA established. But that's what we're working on. I didn't, if you, we had talked in March, I would have talked more about the National Contest Journal and uh, my final year as editor. But now uh, the world has turned in a different direction and so have we. And it's a joy to be on your show because we can talk, Neil, uh, and um, talk about this. And uh, the other guests are also here. So we're all healthy, and that's a blessing. I'll give it back to you, Neil. Yeah, sure is. Well, um, you know, ham 
test online says ham radio saves lives. So, you know, as, as hams, we 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 train for you know big um, disasters and, and you know communications emergencies. And this isn't so much of a communications emergency, but but hams are usually very, very giving people, and we're here to serve our, our community and our and our fellow hams and and those around us. And so, um, and and some of us like like you and I, you know, also you know see it as a um, as a uh, spiritual thing that that uh, you know Christians are called to serve. So how can hams, if, if they feel so called to do so, how, how can hams um, go about helping your cause? Neil, thanks. I had my mic muted. Oh. I'm really a CW operator. Can you hear me okay now? <laughs> you can answer in uh, CW if you like. Oh, thank you. That would be a joy. Uh, <laughs> Hams can help in two ways. They can talk about this. And they can talk to the fellow, our fellow hams on the air. They can encourage each other to stay healthy and to stay safe, to socially isolate and distance, to protect yourself, and to uh, do your best, and to help those in need, and to talk to your family or friends who have recovered from COVID to see if they might be willing to contact the American Red Cross or to look online at US, sorry, www.uscovidplasma, U-S-C-O-V-I-D-P-L-A-S-M-A.org. That website is the website we created at Mayo Clinic. It will direct you on where to donate blood. Every state has blood collection. Almost every city does. Every major blood agency is working through the Red Cross to do it. Vitalant in the West Coast, America's Blood Centers in the East, One Blood in the South Florida region and around Florida. Many medical centers in your state, Neil, I'm confident that there are several big blood banks in Indianapolis that are collecting blood. Likely in Bloomington, where you live, there's a hospital blood bank that can take blood. Uh, so if you, if, you, if you have recovered, uh, as, a, as a ham on Ham Nation last night who had recovered, uh, Andy Anderson did, or if you have a family member, a friend, or just, just an acquaintance, someone from church, someone from your social group who's been ill, who's recovered, encourage them to consider donating. They have to be symptom-free for 14 or 21 days, and then um, they can go to the blood center, make an appointment, and donate. But it's very important. Um, and, uh, you know, the New York Blood Bank alone is carrying the weight for the United States right now. They've got several thousand units of convalescent plasma. Uh, I could tell you heart-gripping stories of the work we did today alone on Thursday to make this accessible for several patients in the Southern New Hampshire Medical Center, where the state law in New Hampshire was impeding the ability of these patients and their families to give consent to be in this study, but the governor and the attorney general have come together to help them to create an opportunity for COVID-19 patients at all medical centers in New Hampshire, Dartmouth, Southern Regional Hospital, and others to be able to be a part of this when the state law was written in a way that made hospitals believe that patients couldn't be. Uh, every state in this country has has one or more hospitals in the study. In Minnesota, where I live, 40 hospitals are participating. In New York City alone, every major hospital, every tent facility, every acute care facility is involved. Uh, we have 1,902 sites. When we started this with the FDA, they thought we would have 50 to 100 hospitals who would join. And uh, you can see that we've blown right past that. We're delighted that as of this morning, 3,921 patients in hospital had signed up. Uh, because it's really one of the few therapies that, that's being tested. There are other experimental therapies, but those are not available in every hospital like this one. And uh, if family members want to know if their patients, their, their loved ones should take this, they should talk to their, their patients, their family members, treating physicians, and ask them if they think this would be suitable. I don't want to get into questions tonight, and I won't comment specifically on individual patients. But I will say that this is a time that I've been impressed that, that uh, we're all working together and that uh, everyone is aligned in a common uh, common direction here. So that's how that's how hams can help. They can they can practice good behavior, safe health practice behavior. They can encourage others to do that, and they can encourage those who have been infected and recovered to maybe give some blood and plasma. And uh, even if your blood's not able to be used for convalescent plasma, it can be used and be helpful at this time. Uh, 
so I hope that's not too long of an answer, Neil. I don't want to take too much time no, from your other guests. That's a great, uh, great answer. And, and I have one last question for you. And I know I've kind of mentioned this just in, in passing, but uh, we haven't talked about it a ton is, you know, I, I think I may have had it back in January. Um, mm-hmm. it, the symptoms seem to line up, but I don't have a diagnosis. I, I just said, you know, my, you know, being a, a pre-med dropout, uh, <laughs> only having a chemistry degree, I, I don't know all that biomedical stuff. So I don't have a good diagnosis. It is there anything that I could do? I mean, can I still, can I still, you know, donate this and then they can check it or it, it you know, until the antibody tests come out, and are available, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? That's a really good question. And, uh, Neil, I think you would have been an excellent physician, but you're an outstanding chemistry teacher and, uh, you're helping people doing exactly what you're doing and, uh, never underestimate the impact you're having. My friend, uh, I'm a physician today because of my uh, biology and chemistry and math teachers in high school. So I want to give a special thank you to those three individuals who, uh, or two actually, Mrs. Clark and Mr. Loudermilk, who gave me the background to become a doctor. So what you're doing, Mr. Rapp, well, a lot of pre-med students and med students will thank you. In Minnesota, I know we have the antibody test. The governor announced today that um, there will be a massive effort statewide to test if people want to do this. I've also been told that in Florida, every unit of blood that's being donated is going to be screened with an antibody test. And uh, if uh, there's evidence that someone has antibodies to COVID, there's a very good possibility some of that blood will be used for the convalescent plasma project. Neil, I just want to say that uh, it's possible you had this disease in January. It's also possible you had just old, plain old-fashioned influenza or a bad cold. Uh, I don't know, but it's well worth seeing if you can get an antibody test so you know. Uh, I hope if you've had it, you have good immunity now and you won't get it again. Uh, but uh, it's it's people who get it, it, for some of them, it's a very tough course in the hospital. And, of course, there are a lot of people who get it who have minimal symptoms. And uh, it will be fascinating once we have screened 20 or 30 percent of the population to know exactly how many of us have been exposed to it. Um, I'm glad you're here healthy and not impaired at all, Neil. And so if you've had it. It was just divine blessing that you came through it easily, and um, you know you, uh, you have the opportunity to do more good for society. Well, well, uh, I'm, I think I'm I'm very interested to get the antibody test. We'll put it that way, and we'll we'll go from there and and see uh, see what happens. But um, yeah, it, it it was just a little different. But like you said, it, it may well not have been. And since I don't have a good diagnosis, I. I I don't know that for sure, so I can't assume anything. Um, actually, uh, let since you're you're on short short time, you're checking in short time here tonight. Uh, Matt in the chat room says, uh, "Would former asymptomatic carriers yield enough antibodies to give useful plasma?" Matt, thank you for that question. We believe so, um, and um, there's no evidence to suggest they would not. So um, by that degree of logic, we will uh, say uh, it's very possible. So, yes, if you've had it and you were largely without symptoms, your, your blood is still good to donate. And, Neil, I'll be happy to stay around as long as you need to answer questions. Uh, I'll continue to work on work stuff uh, while your show's going on, but I'll be available. Okay, very good. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put you on, on mute then, and uh, or, or you can put yourself on mute, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we'll talk to Sam a little bit about this other project. But thanks so much for coming on and, and telling us about this and telling us about ways that uh, that hams can help out. And um, we'll, we'll try to keep you around here for a few questions a little later on. Well, Sam Rose, KC2LRC, is here to talk about folding at home. And um, – we're we're actually about time for a break here. So Sam, let me uh let me just kind of introduce you a little bit here and then we're going to we're going to take a break and then we'll come back and talk about um the um about the um 
folding at home bit, but um, John K1JR uh, is is here with us as well, and uh, we'll we'll talk to John here in a little bit. But uh, Sam, tell us a little bit about what folding at home is. Yeah, so uh, folding at home is a research project that began in Stanford University probably in the early two thousands, maybe two thousand three, two thousand four. And what it focuses on is understanding the proteins in our body and proteins on other things like bacteria, viruses, COVID-19 virus, for instance. And proteins are small particles that perform all kinds of functions. They might cleave and modify DNA or assist with copying functions. They're responsible for the movement in our muscles and lots of other uh, things that happen in our body. Um, They also happen to be some of the things that viruses use to enter our cells. So in particular, the the coronavirus um, uses the spike protein that you've probably seen in the the graphic of it. It interacts with a protein called ACE2, which is on the surface of respiratory cells. And I forget the function of it, but that's one of the things that a drug called an ACE inhibitor reduces the function of. Well, the, that's not the point of the ACE protein, but it happens to be that the virus can kind of use it as a doorknob to get into the cell. So what Folding at Home has been pioneering is the use of computer simulations to model how these proteins form. And when a protein is made by the cell, it comes out as a chain of these individual amino acids that can be hundreds of thousands of atoms long. And then some process occurs by which the protein kind of assembles itself. It takes the shape, and the shape of the protein determines its function. And so the unassembled protein does something different than the assembled protein. It might do nothing at all. Um, Well, they have been studying the process by which that protein starts as that unassembled string and then folds into shape. Um, to understand, you know, what happens when that process goes wrong or how is that process interrupted. Um, so in case of things like this, you might say you might be able to get a drug to bind to that uh, protein and some various state of the thing, but you can't observe it in all states. So you can only observe it in generally in the final state of the lab. So they've been using computers to simulate this. Now, what they did to get the computer power is they made a system, uh, they used a system called distributed computing. And that's where volunteers from around the world install this program on their computer, which donates unused CPU or GPU power to the project. And so it actually uses that to perform the simulation. So it's essentially, it's a, it's a volunteer-run supercomputer is what Folding at Home is. Okay, very good. Well, we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about that and um, what the project has done and and what they're trying to accomplish. And then uh, we'll take some of your questions when we come back right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. Thanks for choosing Tower Electronics. How may we help you today? We have PL259s. We have in-connectors. We have SMA adapters. We have BNC adapters. What can I show you today? Where's the tower? Well, we don't actually have a tower with us, but we have all kinds of things you can use with a tower. We have power poles, antennas, soldering irons and meters. Where's the tower? (laughs) Ma'am, that's the name of our company. We can't haul towers to all the ham fests across the country that we visit, but we have almost every connector and adapter you would need to connect your antenna that's on your tower. I don't think there's a tower back there. I really don't. Tower Electronics. Visit us at a ham fest near you or call 920-435-2973 or see our whole catalog at pl-259.com. Sorry, one thing we don't have is a tower. Nominations are now open for the Amateur Radio Newsline Bill Pasternak WA6ITF Young Ham of the Year Award. I'm Don Wilbanks, AE5DW. Since 1986, we've had the honor of celebrating the accomplishments of youth in ham radio, and we want to know about your exceptional young ham. You'll find the rules and a nominating form by clicking the YHOTY tab on ARNewsline.org. Fill it out. 
Send it in, and we'll see you and an amazing young ham at the Huntsville, Alabama Ham Fest in August. Thanks, and 73 from Amateur Radio Newsline. Join the conversation. Give us a call at 859-982-7373. Again, the number to call is 859-982-7373. Or, if you'd rather type than talk, tweet us at Ham Talk Live. Now, here's Neil Rapp with more Ham Talk Live. Ham Talk Live, now with 30% less calories and no trans fat. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show again tonight. They're at pl-259.com, and they'll be back out on the Hamfest Trail after all this COVID-19 stuff is, is under control, and we hope that that's soon. So um, right now, pretty much every Hamfest is, is postponed. So uh, make sure to check your listings, and uh, they'll be there back out on the trail soon. But uh, pl-259.com is how you find them. At the moment, and you'll find Ham Talk Live at hamtalklive.com every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we'll uh, take your calls here in just a little bit. But we're we're running a little over, and and um, we were I was listening to to a nice discussion of proteins uh, during the break there, so you you missed out on some good science there, folks. Uh, Sorry, but uh, Sam, let's go back to the uh, to the folding at home. Uh, You you talked a little bit about what this is, so so why don't they just get a big supercomputer and and start churning out data on a supercomputer? Well, that's a really funny question, and the answer comes down to two things that have more to do with this project being more of a marathon than a race. Well, a supercomputer these days is essentially just a cluster of of decent computers, you know, kind of server processors and graphics cards that are connected together with high-speed links. And a supercomputer can be thought of kind of as a sprinter. It works on a problem that requires high-speed communication between all the different nodes in the, uh, the computer, which obviously if you're talking about computers connected through the Internet, we don't have that. Um, so they didn't use it really for two reasons. Number one is that it's, supercomputers are very expensive and difficult to get time on, and they needed a lot more time to run these simulations than they could get time on on supercomputers. Um, And then number two is that, and this will be a a striking one, is that the supercomputers generally are not powerful enough to do what they want to do. So they looked at the model of uh, SETI at home, which was the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And as I'm aware, that project really pioneered the use of distributed computing. And they said, you know, if you get enough volunteers here, our simulations don't require that high-speed communication, but they can go on much longer and they need to simulate much more trajectories. Say, this protein with initial atom positions here um, in water of this temperature or a different solvent, and you know, you just wind up with all these different computations and paths that you have to go down. So each path can is not really a super complex computation, but the number of paths that you need to go down could be thousands or tens of thousands. And so you get a problem that really can be broken up nicely into individual trajectories. They're split up over the distributed computing system and simulated on the volunteers' computers. And that way you don't have to fight for time on the supercomputer and you can get enough power to do all these things. So have they had any successes with this? They've had a number of fascinating successes. Um, And as you look through the history of the project, the purpose of it kind of changed. At first, they were trying to validate the method of, you know, can we produce simulations that come close to laboratory results? And as they began having successes with that, they started looking at what exactly do proteins do now that we know that our models are, are useful 
we can start simulating things that you can't see in the lab because these foldings of the proteins might happen over just a few nanoseconds. So you can observe the final state of the protein in the lab, but generally you can't see the process that actually happens. And I don't know how they proved that the intermediate states were accurate as well. Um, so they moved on from just learning how proteins work and fold to actually trying to use this to research treatments to diseases. They've done this for Alzheimer's disease where they believe they've identified, I think this was back in 2012, um, the protein that misfolds, like it can assemble itself incorrectly and cause Alzheimer's disease and start damaging adjacent proteins or however it is that the thing replicates. Um, they had another recent one in which they determined how an antibiotic-resistant bacterium achieves its antibiotic resistance. And what it does is the bacterium creates this protein that devours things like penicillin before they can actually reach the uh, surface of the bacterium and break its cell wall and destroy it. Um, so they've come up with a number of candidate drugs that could interfere with the operation of this protein and maybe in combination with an antibiotic cause the bacterium to be destroyed. Um, but I think one of their biggest successes is through the um, simulation of the proteins in the Ebola virus, what they found was in the final state of the protein, there wasn't any site that a drug could bind to. But if you went through it in a simulation, you could see that maybe halfway through the assembly of the protein, a drug that was already known safe for human use would actually bind strongly to the protein and prevent the protein from fully assembling itself, which inhibits the replication of the virus. And I forget whether that went into one of the treatments or the vaccine, but the research that Folding at Home did was instrumental to developing that treatment. Well, that sounds like a valuable success to uh to to give it some promise here and and maybe come up with um some more information that that could lead to a treatment at some point so so now they've kind of switched everything over to covid nineteen so so what what's going on there they they just kind of rerouted everything toward it they did they um when they heard about this they said you know we have this scientific method that we've come up with, and it's a very young scientific method. This is, it's young science. It's not, it's not kind of tried and true science, but they said, you know, we have an opportunity in this crisis to attempt to do something constructive towards the finding of a, of a treatment for this disease. So the COVID, the, the coronavirus that causes this has about 20 proteins on it. Um, and so to come up with a whole bunch of permutations of simulations to say, we want to simulate how these proteins fold into shape so that we can look for potential binding sites as they fold into shape. And then also they want to search through potential drugs, like drugs that are already known safe for human consumption, um, and see which ones will interact with those binding sites. So that kind of leverage the power. It kind of leverages the power of the network as it is. It's capable of trying a very, very large number of combinations of the proteins and different drugs, and figuring out analytically what stuff is likely to bind together, and hopefully inhibit maybe the RNA replication of the virus, or bind to the spike protein the same way that the the antibody might and inhibit it from being able to attach to the ACE2 protein of the cell and gain entry into the cell. You know, if you can disable one of the mechanisms that makes the virus tick, stop it from replicating, then you stand a chance at a treatment for the disease. And so they're kind of, they're throwing all their darts at the wall, trying to find something that stands a chance of doing this. Now, let's talk about what hams can do because that it is a ham radio show so we're going to talk about 
what hams can do. And so explain how hams can donate their computer time and, and power and processor time uh, to help with this project. And it is a, it is a donation. I mean, it, it you know, it's going to use up electricity. It's going to run your processors longer. You know, uh, there is, you know, a cost to you for it. But um, if you're interested in, in making this donation of your spare uh, processor time, how do you go about making that happen? Well, the, you go to foldingathome.org.org and you download their software and set it up. And what it does is it installs itself generally as an auto start on the computer. And the idea is it uses whatever spare CPU cycles or GPU cycles that you're not using. And so it's something that you can run while you're using the computer. I have it running on this computer right now, and I don't know it's there because what it does is it uses functionality in Windows or Linux or Mac OS to set itself as the lowest priority for the CPU. And that means when you're running something, your program gets the CPU first, and whatever is left over gets used by folding at home. Um, now, GPUs don't have that. They actually don't have the priority function. So sometimes you need to pause the client while you're running a video-intensive program, like a video game or something like that. But that's what you do is you pretty much you go to foldingathome.org and you install this program. Now, the other thing is that donors get credits for their donations. So every time that the uh, the system downloads a unit of work from the server and then it processes it for six or eight hours or whatever it takes and then it returns it to the server and gets another one, you get some points for that. So to encourage people to kind of form a friendly competition, you can form teams on this. So John K1JR, who's on our line here, he's one of the ones who uh, actually got me into this when I was at Clarkson University. We had a team and we have a team, I mean, in fact, we're, we're still running for it, where all our points get pooled together and ranked up against the other teams in this project, and there's a lot of them. Um, so, John, tell me the story of uh, what got uh, you into this. So some uh, a bit of a competition on campus, right? Yeah, so we had a little bit of an open source uh, computer science department called COSI, at Clarkson University, and uh, we also had our ham radio club, K2CC. And uh, we thought that maybe we could uh, outdo the COSI work unit, you know, score. So a bunch of us got together our PS3s. Uh, I had a computer that I actually kept in my closet when I was in the apartment there. And uh, basically, we started turning out work units, and uh, it was quite impressive. We outdid them, and I would say it took us probably a good four months, but uh, we did it. And uh, as I think uh, Sam also indicated, we were in the top 100 for how long? I think about four years after I graduated, we were... uh... Clarkson University's team was in the top 100 list of contributors worldwide, and I thought that was quite an accomplishment. I would have to agree with Sam, and uh, I've been out of the Folding at Home project for for quite a few years uh, here at at home where I am now, Uh, but I've often wondered what has happened with all that data, with all the work units that uh, I produced while I was at campus, and I often think that, you know, all that went to the greater good. And now Sam talking about all these great findings, I wonder if the work units that, uh, you know, the computers that I was running contributed to that. And they probably most definitely certainly did. Yeah, the Alzheimer's uh, finding happened right about at the end of when I was at Clarkson. So I'm sure your uh, I'm sure your computers uh, contributed to that. Now, Sam uh, got yeah. me uh, signed up for the Clarkson team, and it's Team 59515, and um, so I'm on there. And then I, I I changed my name. I was Rapster, and then I then I changed it to my call sign, and then I found out the points don't carry over. So 
I switched back. Again. So I'm on there like twice now, but, but yep. one of the things that I noticed about the team from Clarkson, and there's a whole bunch of ham radio teams. We'll mention them here. Uh, but we're going to do a shameless plug for the Clarkson, <laughs> for yes, the Clarkson team, uh, because we've got our Clarkson people here, but, but you know, one of the things that I noticed was there were a lot of ham radio call signs in there and and there was a lot of you know k2cc things where you know you had an irlp node but you had this running on it you had the shack log computer but you had this running on it and and you know you had your your uh i don't remember there was something else that was in the shack and and you had you know you had the client running on it so this is something you could do, you know, while you're running FT8 or while you're running Whisper or, you know, while you're logging a contest, you could have this in, running in the background and, and do two things at once. Oh, exactly. And, you know, that was the spirit. As, as nuts as I am, some of you here have seen the pictures of these six computers in a row in my basement that run this. Um, the spirit of the project has always been you don't have to spend money on extra hardware. Just run what you've got. So if you have even something as old as a, I think he, I, I have a couple core two duos that still run this and, you know, they'll take eight or 10 hours to complete a unit. Whereas one of my I fives or I sevens does it in an hour and a half. But as long as the units are completing within their deadlines, cause they do need the units to come back, then that's a contribution. So whatever you've got, we certainly invite you to come join our team Clarkson friends alumni and students at team 59515 and we were in the top 100 until maybe three weeks ago when the rapid influx of new participants from covid drove us out i think we're now ranked about 115 and i was thinking you know i need to come up with about 25 million points per day to get back in the top 100 and maybe i'll do it maybe i won't but either way whoever we recruit can contribute a little bit to the project that brings it closer to its goals. And the one other thing I need to mention is that the project recently went from having 30,000 to over a million contributors and their servers are backlogged with this like crazy. The project is run by about a dozen people, dozen scientists, uh, professors, postdocs, students, and they're struggling to get more work up and running. So you will see, I think, uh, your client sitting idle now and then. But as they go, they're going to get more running so that they can take advantage of all the new donors. And this is a marathon, not a sprint. Get in it for however long you can and keep with it. And, John, I think you had something you were trying to say. I don't know, but... Uh, oh, oh, sorry. It's always been... It's okay. You can keep going. This has been great. So, you know, this is, this is what you do now. I, I admit I turned it, turned it off to do the show because I need a whole lot of processing power to run all the different streams at the same time and all, all of that. But then when I get done, I just click, you know, instead of while I'm idle, I, you know, I, I click in the background and, and it goes back to it again. And it's just been chugging along and, um, it, it's, um, already finished, I think 14 jobs or something since we talked about this a week or two ago. Right. Um, and, actually, and I just let it run. Yeah. And the nice thing about the new client is it does have an option where if you do find that it's interfering with what you're doing, it can pause either the CPU process or the GPU process or both automatically the second you start using your computer. And then after the computer's been idle for a while, it'll start itself back up. So you can do it that way and set it so that when you you leave, just leave your computer on and it'll start running when you uh, when you walk away from it. Or you can try running it during what you're doing and you'll figure out what works. Yeah, I've been playing around with, you know, you've got like three speed settings on it, light and medium and and heavy. And I've been playing around with that. And I noticed, you know, when the fan kicks on, you know, and keeps running, then, okay, maybe I better back it down a little bit. 
But, um, you know, sometimes if I know that I'm just going to be, you know, working outside for, you know, an hour or, or got to run to the store or something, I'll crank it up and let it run higher while I'm gone. And then I can kick it back down again. And uh, I'm home teaching online now, um, you know, with everything. So I let it run in the background and and I don't need a whole lot of GPU time uh, to to do those things so you know it can run uh, a lot on the gpu so uh we're already over time <laughs> so <laughs> let me let me move on here um and again uh the, the clarkson university team is 59515 and there are several hams in there several call signs you'll see in that list um okay. and and you want to get a pass key you want to explain the pass key thing real quick the pass key is just an identifier for uh, your client that you, if you search folding and home pass key, you'll find their page on it. And if you put this, uh, if you register a pass key, you put your email into the form and it sends you an email with this kind of hash text looking thing. You put that into your client. It's a unique identifier for your client and they use that to track your contributions and grant you bonus points. So if you're, if you're folding competitively like me, you want your score to be as much as you can for your contribution. Make sure you put that in your client. So sign up for five, nine, five, one, five folding at home.org. And then, uh, go ahead and hit that button to, to get the pass key and, and put that pass key in there. Now I, I said we were doing a shameless plug for, for Clarkson because, you know, Sam got me into this here, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, and you know, there is definitely a ham radio presence, uh, on that team, but I, I did a search real quick just to see, and I no, happen to notice AMSAT has a team. Uh, so I did a real, a real quick search. And so AMSAT is six, nine, seven, one, zero. And then there's a, a, a handful of others. So there's do something amateur radio club, two, five, eight, zero, six, five. There's amateur radio hams. 72200 Amateur Radio Community 254089 Amateur Radio Operators for the Cure 262934 Amateur Radio Science Team 43146 The Central Coast Amateur Radio Club VK2 VK uh, AFY is uh, 262870 Ham Radio Operators is 341 uh, Larry's List the KC Metro uh, ham radio group is three or two five four nine five zero, and the N eighteen ham radio operators from oh boy, Recklinghausen or Erkenschwick, I think two five eight seven four seven. Now I don't expect you to keep all those, so they are in the description. So if you look in the description, uh, links to both Doctor Scott Wright's project and. Uh, the folding at home are there and all those teams are listed out, um, on the description of the show. So, uh, you can find all of that easily, but, uh, we're, we're going to encourage you for five, nine, five, one, five, but, um, all of these are ham radio related teams that, that came up on the search right away. Anyway, there may be more, but, um, just, just want to mention those so, so that we're not, uh, we're not excluding anybody. So, um, Sam, anything more on that before we open it up here? No, I think we had a, a really interesting, uh, set on that. Neil, thanks for having me on. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, you, every scientific thing you do, you don't know is going to yield. Um, that's why, you know, they have to try all these different trajectories and most of the computers that, uh, simulate something we'll find out that there was nothing interesting about that trajectory but you have to try it to know and you know every science is like that the things that scott mentioned are like that and we're just at a point where we have this disease that's coming up so fast that we're trying to help science move as fast as it can and science has been doing an amazing job moving quickly considering the situation and i'm really proud of everything that all the scientists are doing and I'm proud to be able to give them some computer resources too. And I hope all of you will consider doing that also. All right. Very good. Well, like I said, we are over time, but we're, we're going to give a chance for people to ask some questions. We do have a couple of questions backed up here. So we're going to try to get a couple in. We'll try to 
we'll try to keep it to an hour here at least. Um, but um, now more than ever, to, to use a phrase that's like overused right now, now more than ever, it's time for your call. So if you have a question, give us a call at 859 859- Nine eight two seventy three seventy three. That's eight five nine nine eight two seventy three seventy three. That'll put you in the queue, or you can tweet us at Ham Talk Live. We've got a couple on the comments here, and and John, we're going to have to say seven three so we can open up the phone line. Sounds good. Seventy three. Bye. All right, John. Thanks for calling in. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you getting Sam going on this. You've got me going too. Excellent. Thank you. Keep it going, everybody. All right. That's John K1JR. Thanks thanks a lot, John, for calling in. Okay, 859-982-7373 is the number. And, um, Scott, if you're listening, I've got one here for you here in a minute. Uh, Matt says... um, Oh yeah, he gave out the Clarkson team number and says if you don't want to give your email and don't want to get a pass key, the contributions still help. The pass key is just for the bonus points and a and a friendly competition. Um, and I think I heard Scott turn his mic on here. So uh, Scott uh, John W four USF wants to know any idea why some people are asymptomatic while others are getting violently sick uh controlling for immunity equivalency and you know i was sick but it wasn't that bad so i again you know i I don't know if i had it or not but you know some people don't even know they have it no idea there's your answer john (laughs) no idea yeah um and you know unfortunately that's the answer for a lot of things right now i think there's some very young science that's suggesting a number of things on it now none of these have been through peer review so this is not necessarily correct but there's been some things uh mentioning uh the dose of virus that someone receives may be a factor behind it that you know if you have a small dose of virus the virus takes longer to replicate to the point where it can cause significant tissue damage, but your immune system takes about the same time to respond to it and can kind of get ahead of the game on it. And then the other thing was where the, the virus lands. Maybe some cells like your throat cells are thought to get infected with it and help it replicate, but not sustain enough damage to show symptoms and that can cause somebody to be shedding virus, but not showing symptoms. And so it's, 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 it's a very young understanding. Some things that I'm saying are probably not right just because we don't have a big enough sample size, but maybe it's something like that. It's starting to sound like last week's kinetic lesson that I taught online. It's about surface area and uh, orientation of the molecules and the number of molecules present. There we go. It's kinetics. And I would just caution your listeners, Neil, what seems logical in medicine often is not. Um, <laughs> that is there, very true. History is replete with if we did, if we knew and we could logically figure all of this out, we wouldn't need to do clinical studies. The older yep. I get, the less confident I become that I know the answer. That's right. Well said. All right, well, let's uh, let's give out one more try here at 859-982-7373. And let me check uh, the tweets and, and the comments here and just make sure we got everybody. But this has been a great show. I'm glad that uh, all of you were um, on here tonight. And uh, we did get uh, a few questions here. So I think, we, I think we've got them all. So we'll... Uh, We'll stall here for just a minute and see if the phone rings, but uh, I think we've uh, we've pretty well hit it. So, Scott, any any final comments here before we go? Um, Neil, this has uh, been a fascinating show. Uh, I think uh, the, the folding at home effort is helpful. I think that all we're doing now with science is important. I. I really wish that a lot of what we're doing in the United States could have been undertaken when this disease started in China and moved its way through Asia into Europe. We would be farther ahead today with clinical knowledge. But this will leave North America. 
We hope in the not-too-distant future it will likely go into the southern hemisphere. The research must continue because it will be back again, and uh, we need to have answers so that we can help people. So I guess my last comment is thanks again for the promotion, and if you if you have had COVID-19 or have someone who know someone who has recovered and they are now without symptoms and are 14 to 21 days out, please encourage them to consider donating their plasma and their blood to help those across this country. There's a huge unmet need of people who have said, I want to try this, and we just don't have product available yet. And remind us of, the, of your website again. Well, thank you. It's not mine. It belongs to the Mayo Clinic, and it's not really my study. I want to give credit to Dr. Michael Joyner and uh, several of his colleagues um, across the United States and New York and in Johns Hopkins and other places who have helped him push this forward. It was really uh, also to Dr. Peter Marks and colleagues at the Food and Drug Administration. So, But kudos to the Mayo Clinic and to our leadership who have allowed us to serve the country and to help every hospital in this country with uh, the study. It's www.uscovidplasma.org. That's U-S-C-O-V-I-D-P-L-A-S-M-A.org. All right, very good. And, and Sam, any uh, final comments from you? Yeah, I just want to say thanks for having me on here. Um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to jump on and share a little bit of what we do. And, you know, I hope uh, everybody stays safe. I hope everybody stays healthy. I've had uh, two family members get this. One had a fairly mild case, which we're very thankful for. And the other, who I think he's 41 years old now, he was on a ventilator for 23 days. And he's having a lot of difficulty getting off the ventilator right now. Um, so, you know, that the pictures of that are just, they're, they're not something you can unsee. It's, it's really just because this doesn't produce a terrible disease for everybody doesn't mean it cannot produce a terrible disease. And, you know, I just, I hope that going forward, everybody's able to steer as clear of it as they can and stay healthy so that we can resume our life and maybe be a little bit more appreciative of, uh, what life has been when, all of this is over. So thank you, Neil. And thank you, everybody, for listening tonight. Okay. And again, the website, foldingathome.org. And and another shameless plug for Team 59515. So uh, do that. And, and you know, it, yep. <laughs> and, you know, tonight was about, again, Neil? Uh, that number again is 59515. Does that sound better this time? We'll put a post oh, yes. up on uh, our Facebook, and, you know, if you want to ask me questions there, I'll be around in case you have any, like, setup questions or how to install it on Linux or anything you want to do with that. I'll be around. Okay, very good. Well, let me let me say, you know, tonight was about how hams can help, and, and I want to give a little bit of a shout-out here before we go. Um, if you've been following along, Sam and I are both on the – uh, youth on the air camp committee and uh, sam is one of the ones who went over to austria and kind of got the ball rolling and i just kind of in a weak moment i guess volunteered and 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 the rest <laughs> is history but but um one of our presenters our, our kit team builder dr jack purdom w-a-t-e-e i want to mention him for just a minute uh because in the midst of all of this he was in on this project uh down at the university of florida to put together this this uh makeshift ventilators and uh, there were some hams involved in that and he was one of them he's the author of the arduino uh, for amateur radio book. And he, uh, actually, uh, to give away a little bit, he actually rewrote the directions for the kit with pictures and, and everything and, and just did a fabulous job of rewriting the instructions, um, from Mandarin into, <laughs> into <laughs> understandable English for teenagers, uh, for the camp. And, um, and so I've been talking to him a little bit about, Hey, I need your paperwork. Hey, I need your paperwork. And he's like, I'm kind of busy right now. I'm working on a ventilator. Um, uh, so shout out to, to Dr. Purdom, uh, W A T E E for, uh, for working on that project. And, uh, the last email I got from him said that that was going to the FDA for the approval process. So, 
Um, maybe, maybe at some point we can talk about that, but, uh, tonight we just wanted to focus on ways that hams can help. And, uh, these are, are two ways that hams can, can help. So, uh, thanks Scott and thanks Sam for coming on and talking about those today. Thank you, Neil. Thank your listeners. And I want to thank everybody involved in the effort to help, uh, the United States battle COVID from Sam and his team with protein folding to, uh, all of those involved in the convalescent plasma study and especially all the nurses and others, doctors working in the hospitals. Uh, they are the real heroes here. And you, Scott. Thank you. Yes, by all means. All right. Well, we're going to finish that up. Uh, that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Er, Scott Wright, K0MD, Sam Rose, KC2LRC, and also uh, John for calling in K1JR, and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and typing in. And invite you back next Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at hamtalklive.com. And for a list of our upcoming guests, visit hamtalklive.com. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and now more than ever, may the good DX be yours.